Welcome to Man, Land, and Sea. 31 minutes after 6, Dave Duenas, I'm your host. And this evening, oh, before I forget, it's brought to you by the Bureau of Statistics and Plans and the Guam Coastal Management Program. And today I have some distinguished guests. Yes, you are, gentlemen. Distinguished. <laughs> In the studio today. And I tell them, hey, it's fair, to, it's fair to have an attitude. It's fair to have a personality. It's fair to be everything. You know, we're all about uh, getting the information out, number one. And number two is uh, have fun while we're doing that, right? Ain't going to hurt. Anyway, we got, uh, by all means, introduce yourself, sir. Uh, Brent Tibbetts with Brent Department Tibbets. of Agriculture. Felix Reyes. I'm with the Western Pacific Regional Fishery Management Council. I'm the Guam Island Coordinator. I'm glad you call it Westpac. <laughs> Westpac. Uh, for sure, Westpac. That's, the a, long, that's a long title. Yeah. <laughs> That's a long title. Yes, anyway, I, I definitely wanted to uh, get both of you gentlemen in the studio. Um, what caught my attention was the um, I heard about the um, decline in bottom fish, reef fish. So, um, Brett, that would be your area, I assume? Uh, some, yeah. I work for the fisheries section of Department of Agriculture. Are and we seeing a decline? In in several species we have, yeah, and both in data collected in our, during our creel survey and other survey programs, and also anecdotally from talking to fishermen, that they see there are some species that are much less common than they used to see or, or remember seeing in, in past fishing time. So hmm. we're, we're continuing to, to monitor fisheries in our creel surveys and other visual surveys as well, and we can, can compare information we get now with com- information we've collected. We've been doing these surveys for more than 30 years. So we can look back 30 years ago and see how things have changed over time. Do you have Pacific uh, species that are showing a decline in numbers? Um, well, some things. Some, I mean, some things have, uh, the average size has changed over time. Okay. Some things we've seen species kind of fall out, not caught as often, and more species are taking their places. Um, it's off the top of my head, I can't, I, I couldn't call it with any. I would say that certainly some of the, the things that seem to be less common in the fishery are things like the big, you know, big fish, uh, tangies, and uh, maybe some of the big groupers, uh, things like that we don't see as often as we used to 20, 30 years ago. Is there any um, evidence as to the cause of some of these sizes and decline in certain species? Um, there, there can be a, a wide variety of things. It can be uh, uh, impacts to the habitat. It can be changes in you know climate, things beyond our scope. It can be fishing pressure. Um, those are all things determining what it is are all things that are challenging for our agency as well as, as other agencies uh, tasked with monitoring the environment and the habitat around Guam is coming up with the, the best explanation for changes that we see. I, I mentioned that purposely because um, we hear, it's always in the news, about overfishing and we have a much higher, um, what do you say, uh, more people are out there fishing. We got these um, 
what do you call these Yamaha boats? They call them. Mosquitoes. That's been, in, well, you know, and they're saying they're just raking the reefs of all the fish. So I don't. Is that could be possibly? Well, it it it, it certainly seems like in the last ten years or so, Guam has had a lot. Uh, an increase in commercial fishing, people fishing for a living or to specifically to sell. Uh-huh. And yes. uh, I, not in my experience on Guam, Guam has not experienced that level of commercial fishing in the past. And so we, in, in, if you look at islands through the Pacific, Guam has some of the highest population per square kilometer of reef available for fishing. And so it's the number of people putting demands on the reef here are higher than anywhere else. And so if there is commercial fishing going on, people are going at six days a week, you know, for 10 years, you would expect to see some sort of impact compared to more subsistence fishing or what they call cost recovery fishing. Maybe people catching fish just to cover the cost of gas or bait or ice or things like that, or just catching for family events or social events. Uh, People doing it for a living are out to get as much as they can, maybe more than just what they need in the other, in the other cases. Hmm. And uh, recently, it made the news as well. I mentioned it while we were off the air about a beached, beached well. That uh, what part of the island was that? That Ritidian? came up up at uh, Ritidian Point and uh, the Wildlife okay. Refuge up at Ritidian Point. Yes. And uh, was that? Um, it was deceased. No, it wasn't. It was alive. Okay. Uh, the species is it's called a false killer whale. Okay. Is a common name. They they look similar to female killer whales. Is how they got the name. Uh, it stranded up on the shore. It was still alive. Uh, refuge staff were able to maneuver it back into the water, into deeper water, and it swam off under its own power. Wow. For the next five or six days, we kind of kept an eye on beaches around Guam to see if if it did die and wash back up on the shore. The sooner we can get to a dead whale, the better information we can get to determine a cause of death. So this particular one, it didn't make it back? It never came back. Good. Was, yeah, Good. Which, is, which is great news. Hopefully that means because it's still swimming somewhere and not that it died and just didn't land on shore again. But mm-hmm. yeah, I just I saw some pictures and video. I didn't actually see the whale itself. Okay. Um, <clears throat> Marine preserves, are they working? Uh, we have monitoring ongoing in the preserves. Uh, when the law was passed that created the preserves, we had to monitor for two years and then bring the results to the legislature uh-huh. to tell if they were doing what they were designed to do. And at the, at the two-year period, about two and a half years after they were, we were measuring, we were seeing increases in numbers of fish, in average size of fish, and in the diversity of fish species found in those areas. Now, a preserve in its own, while it's a nice thing, the, the, the preserves are designed to increase fishing in the areas that are not preserves, to increase uh, uh, fishing success. So we have had, we did have a little monitoring going on at, at areas just beside the preserves called spillover areas, where you would expect to see fish moving out. Preserves can only hold so many fish, Correct. and the fish will go outside of those areas where they are then able to be caught. And so in some species, we've seen uh, increases in, in numbers that looks like it would be at, attributable to the preserves. We also have had several studies uh, by uh, the Marine Lab looking at particular species in and out of the preserves. And it does appear that for, for several species, every species pretty much that the Marine Lab has looked at, the preserves are proving to be beneficial and increasing both the numbers and the numbers of spawning individuals of those species, which for a lot of fish, Guam produces its own babies. The, the fish here lay eggs and those babies, when they are big enough, come back to the reefs on Guam. So 
you know, by by interpolation, I guess the more fish we have spawning here, the more babies of those fish should be ending up here as well, where they can be caught. You mentioned briefly uh, the fish that the preserve, of course, can't hold everything, and then they eventually make it out. Right. And those are then the fish that are legally can be Correct. caught. Correct. Speaking of that, that uh, came to right away triggered a question about how many conservation officers you currently have. Uh, that's a good question. I believe right now the number is about seven, seven or eight, but it sounds like we're expecting to have three retired this year. Wow. And yes. so we'll be down to very low numbers. So yeah. enforcement has been a challenge for many years. Very and, much so. And it's going to be coming more so in the near future, it sounds like. Yeah. Do you know of any plans to recruit new conservation Yes. Officers? It sounds like we're going to have two uh, at least limited-term uh, conservation officers joining this year. Uh-huh. But uh, I don't know how long their term will be, a year or two years. And then after that, I don't know what the future is for the conservation program right now. Yeah. I mentioned that because um, I do know. Uh, on a previous show that I had that uh, and a whole different not this got to do with uh, um, conservation officers well that excuse me animal control officers mm-hmm. within the Department of Agriculture mm-hmm. I, I heard you guys only have one one animal control officer yes and there's currently a bill that's going to be introduced by Senator Luis Munoz and the idea came from um, um, Cyrus He's the game president, mm-hmm. and I had him on the show, and he brought it up. I thought it was the, just one of the best ideas I've heard in a long time. And what it is, the bill is, that's going to be introduced by Senator uh, Luis Munoz is going to develop a volunteer animal control officer volunteer. Volunteer, just like the fire department volunteer. They're, gonna, they're not going to be tasked with breaking up dog fights or rings like that, but, you know, the basic stuff. They'll be trained and everything. So the concept of that and with conservation officer, I wonder if that can be applied as well. I'm not sure. I have to admit that's not really my area of expertise in the department, but uh, I know that uh, anything to increase numbers of enforcement officers would be welcome. Yeah, I desperately need for more. Just just thinking outside, uh, just off my head, it it wouldn't be far-fetched if if properly trained, you know, conservation officer to look at the different uh, uh, preserves, for example, to make sure that uh, the residents are following the law and not fishing in these preserves. And uh, for some reason, if, if you got, what, six or seven now, you said? I think about seven right now. And three are retiring. I don't think that's en- enough of them out there. I, so. I heard Chelsea talk about uh, implementing a volunteer conservation officer corps. Uh, we may be just a stipend. You know, yeah, well, that would be, again, just... Numbers in, of officers out there because those seven or eight that Brent had mentioned uh, have oversight of not just the aquatic side, but also the terrestrial side. Hmm. The deer hunting and the pig yeah. hunting and, and the fishing. Yeah, um, so. speaking of deer hunting, I had them <laughs> in, the, in the show as well. I, I never knew. I thought deer, I mean, deer and pig, the pigs are protected. Did you know that? Deer, I mean pigs, are protected. A conservation officer from the Department of Agriculture said, Dave, deer, I mean pigs, but we have a problem with feral pigs. Mm-hmm. And so I brought the question up, and he says, we need to change the law because pigs are protected. I said, why? It's a game animal, just like deer is. So you actually need a permit to catch them and or 
hunt them. I wasn't aware of that. I'm and I said, here in Guam, we, you know, we grab pigs all the time. It comes yeah. in our my dad's ranch. and There's too many. I've had a show just specifically on feral pigs. I had the USDA, uh, Mr. Flores in here. And, you know, we talked about the, the problems that we're having, Santa Rita, Agat, and, and it's now trickling out to, we've, we've had people call in and said, my car was attacked by a feral pig. They're attacking vehicles, they're tearing up private property, and it's just, uh, so I have them in the studio as well. And again, just going back to what we were talking about, uh, the uh, volunteer force, whether it be conservation officer or animal control officers, I just thought that was a terrific idea. And I don't see with proper training and limited uh, authority, you know, like I said, we don't expect them, the volunteers to go out there and break a illegal dog fighting ring. You know, that's kind of, let the uh, real officers take care of that. But as a volunteer force, that would be something that definitely can uh, help your organization. Yeah, I think for things like the Marine Preserve uh, monitoring, just ex additional sets of eyes are as helpful as anything else. Exactly. No actual action need to be taken, just seeing a, a violation and reporting it so the public is if we only have eight pairs of eyes for the whole island and that's 24 hours a day yeah and 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 the training just you know what to look for you know right. it could be as basic as that uh 44 minutes after six in the evening you're listening to man land and sea with mr brent tebbets with the division of aquatic Yes. <laughs> Division of Aquatic, aquatic and Wildlife and Resources. Wildlife resources. Yes. And, of course, Mr. Rages. Uh, Westpac. From East Rages. Westpac. Sorry. West Pacific Regional Fishery <laughs> When you said Westpac, it only automatically <laughs> triggered Festpac for some <laughs> <Yes>. reason. <laughs> but uh, anyway, they're in the studio. Um, uh, listeners out there, you got someone you want to talk about uh, regarding aquatic wildlife? Uh, Mr. Tibbetts is here, and uh, we can take your call. You know the number, 477-5757, the number here at News Talk K57's Man, Land, and Sea. Jeremy, can we take a short break? Yes, we can. Ooh, I like a good producer. <laughs> Thank you. We'll be right back right after this. The holidays are here and the shopping okay. frenzy begins. Protect yourself with these safe shopping tips. Consider shopping only with retailers you trust or do some research on other retailers you aren't familiar with before proceeding. Don't save your credit card information on retail websites and never make payments when using public Wi-Fi. Switch to cellular data or wait until you get to a secure network to make your purchases. These safe holiday banking tips are brought to you by Bank of Guam, the People's Bank, member FDIC. Interested in thoughtful discussion, hard facts, and input from experts in their field? Then please join me, Tyrone Titano, for The Data Hub every Tuesday night at 6.30 p.m. in studio on the K57 cams and right here on Newstalk K57. The American Association of University Women Guam Branch presents The Dish, a monthly program about issues affecting women and girls in our community. The Dish airs on K57 the last Saturday of the month from noon to 2 p.m. On The Dish, we'll talk about women's health, violence, ageism, workplace equality, financial security, and more. The Dish, serving food for thought on issues that are important to women. Brought to you by the AAUW Guam Branch on Newstalk K57. K57 is heating the talk up again. Patty Arroyo, the talk you need to start your day. Andrea Pelicani, the news as it happens. 
Logan Rages, financial news to fuel your workday. Tony LaMorena, anything goes, talk is here. A new day of Guam's hottest talk has arrived. This is News Talk K57. Buenas afanielos, guahus y Robert Underwood, para bejututuhu nuevo na programa guinegi K57, jan enterro gifino tamoro, fino nativo, pat mas claro fino hadza, y finota. Bula siya na, na maguf, na bubu, na mahalang, na chalik, lo tinakmanyo. Y finota with Robert Underwood, every Monday night at 6.30 on News Talk K57. Ribaja. Usa talo, recicla, mas di palabresti. Esti na vida para meggay, sa sinalokwe para hogo. Isorensen Media Group, munaha su para unpalagwin may sahaw. Saunaw i one bag challenge. Zong fanhokka basula, kinto ti zomo, alinya i eslata, alinya i komunidarta. Zogwi hafe i sinyong, para tanabunita, zanabansa mo na mas bedde, zangasgas na marianas. Un costa kada beay. After six, love the sound selection, Jeremy. Love it. Love it. Who sings this? Malo. Malo. Sabancito? You got it. There you go. <laughs> okay. Yes, coming back from a short break. Thank you for tuning in to Man, Land, and Sea. We've got guests in the studio, Mr. Brett Tibbetts, Division of Aqua- Aquatic Wildlife. <laughs> Resources. Yeah. I'm going to mess that up all night long. C-D-A-W-R. And Mr. Felix with Westpac. Westpac. What's going on with Westpac? Uh, Westpac is... Oh, again, uh, what's Westpac stand for again? Western Pacific Regional Fishery Management Council. We Ooh. are one of eight across the country. Yeah, I thought yeah. he was with Department of Agriculture, only to find <laughs> out he's not. No, no, I'm not. He's just occupying a chair there or something? I am just occupying a chair here, supporting <laughs> okay. Mr. Brent here as a good buddy. But uh, yes. we are one of eight councils across the country. Okay. We are based out of Honolulu. Ooh. And uh, our oversight includes, of course, Hawaii, uh, American Samoa, CNMI, and Guam. Hmm. And we are you know, concerned more of the federal federal fisheries side than the local side. You know, three miles and out on the economic uh, easy hmm. zone. But because uh, you need to leave uh, with your boat at the marina to go out to fish in our federal waters, then we also have some... Uh, Concern about the marinas, the state of the marinas, and and things that uh, are associated with um, pelagic fishery and uh, trolling. Pelagic and fishery. Pelagic uh, catching tuna and mahi and wahoo. 
Oh. Marlin, you know, those... those uh, Good stuff. <laughs> what does pelagic mean? Those are non-residential. Yeah, that's like open ocean. That open was ocean. Could it be As like opposed to pelagic? reef fish or bottom fish. Yeah. Pelagic are open ocean animals. Is that tomorrow? Pelagic, But because uh, some of our, our banks are way out there, like the uh-huh. southern banks, Galvez, Santa Rosa, and those, even some, even Rota banks, uh, they're within uh, uh, the USEEZ. We have some... Uh, uh, footprint into that type of fishery as well. Uh-huh. And if you don't mind, I can just talk about what's happening. There's something happening next week here in Guam, and we've got some sites. If I can I get you to hold on on that real quick while no we take callers come first. Go for it. Go for Baller, it. You know, yeah. Otherwise, he's going to be waiting forever. No <laughs> and caller number one, half a day. Good evening. You got to be curious what's happening next week. And then I have a comment after that. Oh, okay. Uh, what's happening this week? You want to know what's happening this week? Uh, Mr. Mr. Felix? Uh, not this week. It's going to be uh, next week, uh, Thursday. Next week? Next and, and what Thursday. exactly is it? And uh, at 6 p.m. at the Hilton Micronesian Room. Okay. We've got some scientists from the NOAA fisheries that are coming in, and uh, they'll be talking about bottom fisheries. Mm-hmm. And so I would like to get the word out to Guam's By bottom fishermen and general fishermen, especially those that fish from a boat, to, to come and join this and participate in this discussion and a lot of the issues that that have been coming around lately is like what we had mentioned earlier is about the depletion of our fisheries and such but um, uh, what these guys are coming here for is to discuss about the Guam bottom fish benchmark which was uh, done in 2018 and released in 2019 mm. and uh, it uh, it shows that the 2017 benchmark study that was done here uh, shows that our bottom fishery, deep bottom fishery, or bottom fishery as a whole, because it's one complex, shallow bottom and deep bottom is overfished, mm-hmm. and uh, what yeah what it could result um, consequently is that we may there may be a total stoppage or halt into our bottom fishing locally Lo- here in Guam. Locally, yeah, wow, yeah, until so, go ahead, Joe. Okay, uh, <clears throat> um, sorry to get in that, uh, but uh, so. Uh, we used to have a. Uh, this is again. What I went to bring was invasive species, but we. But since you brought this up, we used to have a fishing fleet. I think uh, that, and I think that they they were like uh, Eastern European based, or or I don't know, or something European based. Uh, I think, it, not sure. The name was uh, the 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 fishing company was it like Z something or Zwanich. Uh, yeah. No. Is, that, is that what it was? Yeah, Zwanich, right. Yeah, you're right. So you're right. They, I think they stopped what, the nineties or two yeah, thousands. I don't recall what they left the island. No, it was so, in the nineties. It was yeah. in the nineties. Yeah. So back then, it's, it was already becoming depleted. I, I'm guessing. What What but, I thought was that their fleet fished away from Guam, and in other waters, and not in our waters, but they used Guam as their base for transshipment. Oh. Yeah. Yeah, they were. They were not. Uh, Fishing vessels of that size can only fish in Guam's EEZ if they were Guam flagged or U.S. flagged. Uh, those ships were not, so they could fish international waters, but they couldn't fish in, in U.S. So they would go out to open sea and fish, and then they would transship through Guam or bring fish back to Guam for shipping out to other parts of the world. But even then, it became less profitable. I'm guessing that's why they packed them. 
And that, that, Ain't and, that always the case? Yeah, and my understanding too is I think the gentleman running it just became wanted to retire finally. He got rich, oh. eh? As, as well, yeah. yeah. <laughs> oh, maybe that, 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 oh, yeah, that would, that would be. Uh, and that, that means that, that uh, someone could be his protege or <laughs> possibly, anyway, yeah. It, <laughs> okay. The invasive species. Uh, it just amazes me that um, we're not we're not dealing with it. Uh, the I mean, fifteen years of annoying. That, we, that uh, the rhino beetle has been uh, spreading and increasing, and uh, uh, it just to me it feels as though it's it's more of, of the same uh, attitude of the federal federal uh, uh, agencies. You know, <clears throat> I used to pay attention back in the '90s. To uh, I was curious about uh, uh, our 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 um, birds and our our fruit bats and. Um, we still have we have fruit bats, but they they were they were decreasing year by year, and the proof was there were there is statistics there's data that proved it every year there was less and less fruit bats, and I would ask this question why aren't you guys doing something well there's no funding for it, so all they had the funding for was to make a very good detailed accurate account of the demise of our of our our uh, species in it and and no one talked about about having a program to save uh, any any of these species until this military buildup, when they say, "Oh, we have a plan to to bring back uh, the flora and the fauna to to these certain designated areas," and I'm like, "Man, why couldn't why couldn't the leaders get to get put their heads together, going back a, a couple of decades and, and done th that? Why do they have to wait until this military buildup? Um, you know, and 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 what what can we do?" To you know, keep the momentum and the attention on on uh, uh, conserving our uh, our local what we think of as as our local species that we want to keep, in meaning the the birds and the fruit bat, and and decrease the number of feral species and invasive species like uh, wild pig and uh, the the deer because they they they, uh, they they make it difficult for the the, the flora to grow. Uh, you know, and, and of course, <coughs> eradicate uh, the the beetle. Well, I'm sorry if I took too long. No, 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 no. You, you a lot of great comments. Uh, the rhino beetle. I, I want to mention just a little bit. I did have a, a guest in the studio in a previous show, Dr. Ross, I believe, from the University of Guam, and they are actively working and studying the rhino beetle problem, and they're coming up with. They're going to be coming up with a solution. There's a fungus that they're developing. And other methods of uh, eradicating the uh, rhino beetle. So, you know, uh, it ain't making headlines right now, but uh, they, should, they are actually. Should we be asking the federal government for funding to to replant uh, coconut uh, coconut uh, uh, mm. for, forest areas, perhaps? Well, I, I do know the Department of Agriculture does a lot of tree planting. We do, yeah. yeah. Uh, right now, I don't know that... Uh, Specifically for coconut trees? Coconut trees sure. right now, yeah. A lot of the emphasis is on uh, reforestation of badlands areas, which Correct. can be native That's or not. That's the one I've been hearing about. But they also do some cultivation of native trees that are rare or less common and trying to build up their populations and diversify them across the island as well. Fantastic. You know, yeah. I was at the Home Depot in Honolulu last year. Uh -huh. Outside is a display of a small seedling of coconut. Two hundred and fifty bucks. Wow! Yeah, well, we're in the wrong business. Dollars for a small coconut. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> somebody can um, Joe, be an entrepreneur uh, make money selling coconuts. No, that, that's that's yeah, So next, next week, can we can we bring up some of these discussion these issues? Um, 
by all uh, means. Or it's only for fishing. No, no, no. no every uh, man, land, and sea uh, comes on the air every Thursday, 6.30 to 8 p.m., and it's all about news of Guam and our island environment. You can talk oh, well, about... Well, we're actually people. Uh, is, is it only NOAA people this next week? Oh, I can. I can schedule anyone I want on the show. I'm the host. Oh, I'm and... sorry. I apologize. Uh, okay, so I'll, I'll just uh, I'll just keep listening. Thanks for your time. Yeah, yeah. but but that's a good good suggestion. I'll probably uh, can I, uh, sure. Joe, Joe, right? Now, next week, Thursday uh, evening at 6 p.m. at the Hilton Micronesian Ballroom, uh, I'd like to invite you to come down and join us in this meeting about uh, our uh, bottom fishery. There you go. What, where's it at again? At the Hilton Micronesian Ballroom. Hilton Micronesian Ballroom. There you go. Uh, we're right up against the news, CBS News. We'll be right back after CBS News. Thank you. After seven, man, land, and sea. News of Guam and our island environment. I'm Dave Duenas, and my guest in the show, Mr. Brett Tibbetts. With the sponsor mentioned, <laughs> thank you, thank you. With the Bureau of Statistics and Plans, the good sponsor, and the Guam Coastal Management Program. And along with Mr. Tibbetts, we have Mr. Felix with the that long title, Western Pac- Pacific Regional <laughs> Fishery Management Council. My goodness, man, let's yeah. forget that. We just call it the council. <laughs> the council. And uh, we're talking about, you know, even off the air during the break, we're talking about everything from Pilate. <laughs> you won't believe. We're going to talk about Pilate a little bit. Uh, but um, Brett wanted to talk about, uh, specifically about this, what is it normally, they, they mistakenly call it the... Oh, the uh, the man of wars that show up on the beaches of Guam, yeah. And it's, there's currently it's happening now. Yeah, we're in the season. Generally, November to February is the time of year when we get a lot of man of wars uh, showing up around Guam. They're they're brought here by wind, currents, waves, and deposited primarily along the north coast and the east coast of Guam. But they can end up almost anywhere. Uh, the my my gripe, I guess, is that they're commonly called Portuguese man-of-wars, mm-hmm. which is a different species than the one that's ca- that's found here. And that one is more dangerous than ours and gets larger and has more potent venom than ours. Uh, we get the Indo-Pacific man-of-war. Indo-Pacific. Indo-Pacific man-of-war. It's a smaller species and only has two stinging tentacles. As a, you know, Portuguese man-of-war has dozens of stinging tentacles. So it's a less hazardous one. It can still sting you. It, should, it still should be cautious to be around. 
but it's not as dangerous as the Portuguese meadow and it's not the same species. Are and they more more uh, prominent around the northern shore, western shore? Or north or and east, primarily, northern. yeah. Okay. They're, they're brought here by the rough. prevailing wind and waves, and this time of year, that's normally from the north and from the northeast and, and the east. And is that the same one that, uh, even if they're deceased, dead? They can they still they can sting still, you, yeah. yeah. They're the blue bubbles that wash up on the beach. You, uh -huh. Somebody's going to be walking the beach and you hear them popping underfoot. Uh, even if they're dead on the beach, they can still sting you. That's uh, the caution. Even if you, if you see them, don't pick them up and don't let kids play with them or anything because they and, can still sting you. And the the common uh, home remedy: don't don't use don't, don't use urine. Don't use urine. No. <laughs> okay, okay. No. I just want to. That's the thing. You got to pee on it. Okay. Yeah. Fine. Last year, I was doing. We were doing a survey, and I got stung across the face with one. And I'm thankful that my coworker <laughs> knew not to use that treatment on. Brett, yeah. come here. Just stand there. No, no, no. There's not enough. So, what is the recommended way? The, the best thing to do generally is almost always when you get stung by one of these, there will be a portion of tentacle still sticking to you. So, remove that tentacle first. Use a stick or credit card or something rigid to remove that tentacle because there still has stinging cells in it. Hmm. Then flush this, the area with vinegar. Vinegar, and there then, you go. Yeah, and then heat. A little warm water or something will generally lessen the pain a bit. Um, and then take your favorite painkiller, you know, aspirin, uh, Motrin, acetaminophen, something like that. <laughs> now, sometimes people are sensitive to these stings, like there are people sensitive to bee stings. Uh, if you start to notice a, a severe pain or um, swelling or difficulty breathing or anything like that, absolutely go seek medical attention for that. Great but, advice. Great yeah. advice. Yeah. You know, uh, again, man, land, and sea, uh, callers do come first. So we're going to get this call. Half a day, Tina Guzman. Half a day, Dave. And uh, I mean, you better tell me your, they're your guam balls for pets. Thank you. Thank I you. am guam balls for pets. Hi, this is Tina. Hi, Tina. How are you doing? I am doing great. Uh, yeah, I was listening in about the jellyfish. Uh huh. Um, you know, I was. I just wanted to ask is because when I got stung one time, my dad used gasoline. <laughs> <laughs> I know that maybe that's an well, old wise remedy or something. Well, Mr. Tibbetts kind of on that one. Yeah, just hearing that, I was like, oh, okay, so it's not PE or it's not gasoline, so it's vinegar and scrape it off of the credit card. And, Is and that heat, what I heard? Yeah, and then heat, of, you know, warm water or some heat generally will lessen the pain and the, the uh, stinging as well. Can you use sand to rub it off? No, because nobody rub, carries a credit card at the beach. You know? Yeah, <laughs> well, that, you know, stick or something. But yeah, sand will. If you're rubbing sand on it, that'll actually cause the cells that are left in the tentacle to sting to keep. Yeah, I heard sand too. Yeah, someone told me sand one time, and uh, or or uh, I, I heard duct tape. We had duct tape. Get the duct tape. Put it on the, duct tape might pull some off, area. but it, it'll also yeah, trigger the cells that are there to sting you as well. So what's the best way again to just take Just like it? a stick or something, just just lift the tentacles off of you is the best thing. Don't don't Nothing that puts pressure on the tentacle because that's going to trigger okay. more stinging. Okay, great, so just great something tip. to lift Thank it up. Thank you. Wow. Okay. Yeah. I never knew that. There's no, no gas. Well, definitely, no gas. you know, Brett, he got stung all over his face. Otherwise, somebody would have urinated on his face. <laughs> yeah, and, yeah, and, yeah. I, I, I got I got stung Terrible in the tummy thought. area, yeah. so wow. and it was it was pretty severe. It, it I got to the point where I, I had to go to the ER because the pain was really bad. Yeah, so. if that's the case, that's what you should do. I think my yeah. mine my experience. I I think it's kind of typical is that it hurt for about twenty minutes. Uh, I had a little 
part of the tentacle hit my lip, and so my lip swelled up for about 30 minutes, mm-hmm. and, then, and then most of the symptoms went away after that. But if you get severe symptoms or symptoms that last a lot longer than that, by all means, I think uh, medical care is in, in order. Fantastic. Yeah, it caused nausea from, 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 from my experience. Okay, then, yeah, that's a more severe yeah, state. Yeah, it was so. severe, and it was, it was causing nausea. But, yeah, thank you so much. Tina. Anyways. Tina, yeah, I have a question I, what for I you. wanted to say. Hi, hi. Um, can I just remind your listeners? Hava. Okay, this Saturday at 8 a.m. Oh, at the uh, Dededo Senior Center. Yes, I remember. We are holding our first rummage sale, rummage for rescues. You know, I, I remember the, the rummage sale at the uh, mayor's office. Senior yes, office. yes, yes, yes. It's this Saturday. I, so I want to make reminding it. your listeners. No, I'm glad you did because I, I wanted to make it there because I wanted to meet that uh, caller from the last show. Remember, he had um, his pet that uh, he, Yes, Rianne. Yeah, yeah. I wanted to meet him. I wanted to meet him. But thank you, Tina, for... Um, awesome. I'll see you there, too, then. I definitely will. Again, one more time. Tell us where it's at, what time. Yes, it is this Saturday at the Dededo Senior Center. It starts at 8 a.m., and uh, we're doing a rummage for rescues. All proceeds will go to towards our, our rescue animals. Yeah, fantastic. If Brett and uh, Mr. Ages, if you don't know, this organization, I had them on the show. They rescue Quiet. pets and stuff. And as they were coming into the studio to do the show, they actually rescued a pet outside <laughs> outside the studio. They did. Yes, sir. We they did. Also, we had a dog outside yeah. your studio. And they they um, pair pets um, that they rescue with uh, um, adopt. They adopt a, a pet program type thing. They send mm-hmm. them. They fly them off to the states. Can you believe that? We sure that? do. We're dog lovers. We have no, four dogs at home. We're, yeah, they are awesome. definitely. They carry supplies in their car 24 <laughs> hours a day. And, yes, you know, we it, feed the strays. Awesome and we have kennels and you name it. We got it in the back back of our cars, trunks. Yeah, and, um, you know, like, again, I, I kudos to your organization. They're about a 1,000 strong, these guys. Yes, thank you. They do an awesome job, and Bill 185 is coming up for a public hearing, correct? Yes, that's correct. And, yes, and I'm also inviting all our animal lovers out there. Join us February 10 at 430. We're going to have a protest, and then the hearing's at 5 p.m. So everybody come out and support the bill. Bring your testament. And um, or you can email it to the senator. Yeah, you can be uh, yeah. oral or uh, written testimony. You can email it in. But uh, again, yes. February 10 at the Guam Congress Building at the Guam Legislature, Bill yes. 185 would be going up for a public hearing. So yes, by all means. Yes. Okay. Thank you, Dave. You're welcome, Tina. You're welcome. Thanks. All and, right. So I hope to see you Saturday. Oh, sure. I hope awesome. to be there. Thank I will you. Be there. All right. And um, again, in the studio, Brett Tibbetts with the Department of Agriculture, Division of Aquatic and Wildlife Resources. Resources. I keep good. I'm thinking of rescue for some reason. <laughs> and Mr. Felix Rages. Thank you, Jeremy, for writing this all down for me with the Western Pacific Regional Fishery Management Council. Wow. Yes, sir. Well, you got it all right. <laughs> That's why Jeremy is. What he does, he does. Good job. He's the producer, and he Good music keeps too. me on track. Every guest I have problem, I have problems with names, and he'll write it down and give it to me like this, and I'm good to go. I had the biggest problem with Tina's organization. 
Pugwa, Pets for Paws or something like that. I, 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 already, I already forgot it. <laughs> Guahan Paws for Pets. There you go. There you go. Guahan <laughs> Paws for Pets. And I, I, unfortunately, Tina's off the air now, but I wanted to quiz her real quick because Brett just made it a point. The species is called the... In, Indo-Pacific Man-of-War. Indo-Pacific Man-of-War. Not and the Portuguese Man-of-War. People keep calling it the Portuguese, might as well say Portuguese and eggs uh, man of war. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Once again, uh, thank you for tuning in, Man, Land, and Sea. And we're on every, every Thursday, 6.30 to 8 p.m. You got a question for my guest today. And uh, Mr. Rages, uh, Felix, he had a uh, workshop or a thing at the... Meeting, meeting there. Two meeting. meetings, actually. One uh, on Thursday is about bottom fisheries. Bottom, bottom fishing the, is that the one at the Hilton? At the Hilton, and uh, the following day, at the same time, also at the Hilton, uh, will be a discussion on on shark interaction. Shark interaction. Yes, and it, I think it'll be very a very interesting topic to to come and listen and participate about. Hmm. Uh, you know, a lot of fishermen have been complaining lately that their fish has been taken by sharks as they pull up the fish or wow. are reeling in their their big marlin so and there's photos to document those things so we're going to be talking about those fantastic know, fantastic there. and uh again uh, while we were off the air we were talking about balate yeah. balate yeah and there is definitely a decline in balate in in our waters in some places yeah some places yeah a few a few years ago the the uh, marine lab did a study of the Balati population around Guam. And Balati, what's the uh, English name? Uh, uh, sea cucumbers? Sea cucumbers. Would be, yeah. And we have several species here. We probably have, I think, 20, 25 species here, at least, wow. of sea cucumbers. Um, there are parts of the island where their populations are relatively healthy, and there are parts where they are very low. And what parts are they? Uh, I'm not going to say all of them. <laughs> okay. I, don't, I, don't, I know oh, all of them. Oh. I just, either, either from... From personal experience, I go out snorkeling almost every week, and ah. so I see places where there's a lot, and I see places where there's not a lot. Um, and so they, there were some recommendations in that study for possible management measures. Yeah. Um, one of them is currently the law on the books in Guam allows for the take of 100 per person per day. Wow. Uh, which is a, a pretty healthy number. The, the, it looks like there's a potential legislation coming up to reduce that number. To person per day, and hopefully that would be a, a strong enough management measure to see yeah. an increase in numbers. And, and there's a reason for that for the listeners out there the balate or the sea cucumber. Uh, Mr. Tibbetts was mentioning uh, while we were off the air at one point in time, I'm not sure when was this, but a person was uh, arrested for having what there were there were uh, sea cucumbers being prepared for export for the asian market and they had over 11,000 of them 11,000 wow. yes 11,000 sea cucumbers yeah and the method of preparation was clear it was being prepared for the asian market they're not going to be consumed locally yeah and they are a delicacy in the asian market yes, um, they are. it's called best and they dry them i forgot how other else they do it but they dry them and supposedly it's a quite tasty <laughs> I've, I've I, tried it it didn't do a lot for me was it like bubble gum maybe kind of yeah with, okay. with less flavor yeah, yeah. between uh, mr felix and i we, we you know when you said there's a dec decline in sea cucumbers or balate we really didn't care too much because we're scared of it <laughs> i don't like to step on balate i've never put my mouth on a balate it's uh well, I don't know. <laughs> that would be a funny picture. <laughs> <laughs> uh, 
That's almost as funny as Brett getting bit by the uh, Indo uh, Man of War. Indo Pacific Man of War. Indo Pacific Man of War. Yeah. yeah. Almost had it. Almost, almost. had it. And uh, again, that's uh, one of his. Um, he, he would like to um, educate the uh, people out there. It's not the uh, Portuguese Man of War. That's it's correct. The, yeah. Yeah. <clears throat> Definitely. You know. Come on, people, get it right, get it straight. Four seven seven five seven five seven is the number here at Man, Land, and Sea. And um, hey, current events. You heard about this new virus going around from China? What is it? Uh, corona? A coronavirus. Yeah, yeah. I believe uh, we, the world, is already getting uh, involved. The uh, Center for D Disease Control is already being activated and. Got to nip it on, nip it before it uh, becomes a problem. Guam I mean, should be one of those designated airports. Well, they, they say be, Guam uh, was we at get a low. A lot of well, they did say Guam. Uh, Civil Defense said uh, Homeland Security said Guam is at a low risk because there's no direct flights from China. But from, then from mainland China. Yeah. Correct. But on uh, Mr. Tony Lamarena's show this afternoon, he brought out a point which made a lot of sense to me. Who lives 100 miles from us? Saipan. And they have they have a lot they have direct flights to China and there's a lot of Chinese there construction workers and a lot of our residents go back and forth to uh, and even uh, residents of uh, Saipan come to Guam to visit relatives so there you go it's uh we need to be uh, very proactive and uh, public health is already on top of it as yeah. well and if we do uh, a good job like we did with the uh, dengue virus I think we'll be okay but at the same time, this this particular uh, coronavirus is is quite le uh, lethal. Uh, five people, I believe, have already passed. Well, more than five. Seventeen, I heard today. Yes, radio, yeah. and it's already um, in five different countries, uh, including the United States. Portland, yeah. And yeah. Seattle, yeah. Oh, Seattle, yeah. Seattle, yeah. So because we are very close to Saipan, and again, our Saipan neighbors uh, do come to Guam very often, and we go to Saipan as often as well. The likelihood of, and it is um, transferable from person to person, so it makes it a very, very much a concern. So people, and uh, well, well, you know, again, just like with the dengue fever, I mean the dengue virus, we pretty much uh, did a really good job. I give a lot of kudos to the government and public health for taking care of that issue. It's still there, but uh, we've, I think, got it under control. Uh, it definitely prompted uh, a lot of cleanups. You know, dump sites were uh, cleaned up. Yeah, unfortunately, it took that to uh, get people to realize that. Speaking of dump sites and cleanups, uh, I, we talked about it briefly. The mayor of Jigu, my good buddy, Mr. Rudy Mantinani, he was on the 6 o'clock news, and he's pretty much had it. They just had a cleanup in Jigu. It was from Love Guam organization. They cleaned up this area. The next following day, it was trashed again. Yeah. And uh, a good friend of mine brought it up to me, and made a lot of sense a mutual friend Vanji mm -hmm. Vanji Luhan she goes Dave don't you think that because we have so many good citizens that go out there and clean up these illegal dump sites or clean up the beaches that we're basically empowering the other people that uh, don't care about our environment to continue to trash the island because they know that somebody's gonna go out there and pick it up for them I said makes sense so uh, you know but at the same token, we're going to have to do what we have to in other. Swarms in Pacific, we have a commercial that we run every time. Pick up the trash, even if it ain't yours. Pick up, even one bag, one bag. You know, then we got the uh, trash receptacles all over the island. Great, 
but you do need whoever's supposed to pick it up and empty them. You got to yeah. do that in a timely fashion as well. It ain't going to help if you got a receptacle that gets filled up and it doesn't get picked up. What happens? The person walks by and says, oh, it's full. I'll just throw it in <laughs> right next to it. Anyway, 25 minutes after 7. Uh, Mr. Tibbetts, anything else going on with Sigaterra? Uh, Oh, I guess, yeah, the, I, uh, in last week or so, I guess there was a report of uh, several people on an island got sick from uh, fish poisoning. They eat yes. fish that, that yes. and the, the suspicion is that it was ciguatera poisoning. Now, the people who got sick, it sounds like, went to their primary care physicians and got care, and then the cases got reported to public health. So it's, there's a little bit of a time lag and a distance to find out what kinds of fish they were if the fish were caught locally or imported, things like that. But we're working with public health to, I was just in communication with a woman there yesterday uh, talking about that to see if we know species that historically have caused ciguatera on Guam and to see if any of these were the, the culprits or if uh, if it was something imported, maybe what species it was or trying to find out. So is the study ongoing? It, well, it is. They're, 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 public health is just trying to research and find where the fish came from that made people sick and the species if possible. Um, also, we always encourage any fishermen who do get ciguatera poisoning or what they suspect is... Uh, do you know the symptoms? Uh, there are several. A lot of times it's uh, uh, like fever, cramping, uh, tingling in the lips, uh, extremities, fingers, and toes. The most striking thing with, with some cases is that uh, hot and cold are reversed. Hmm. Hot things feel cold and cold things feel hot. That's a, that's an easy one too. Uh, a, yeah, there's not much you can mistake it for yeah. if, if that's one of the symptoms. But uh, certainly if anybody has experienced any kind of fish poisoning, to, to let public health know or let Department of Agriculture know because we do we do want to keep track of these to you know, make sure people know which fish are safer to consume and which ones are potentially risky to consume. When, when the story first broke about what, what is it called? Singletera? Ciguatoxin is the actual toxin. Ciguatera is kind of the name okay. of the symptoms. Yeah. When that story first broke, I had I was I had plans to go and eat fish. I changed my mind. <laughs> I said I'm not going to change. I mean, chance it. And I understand it was some of them were bottom fishes. It, it could be. I haven't heard the the species yet. Yeah. Well, it, it's concerning. I definitely, you know, because people from Guam we love eating our fish. Yes. Yeah. Definitely. So. And, um, you know, it, the research is ongoing, and until they find out, I don't know, you know. The COA the was the only place before that you could go to and get your fish they, uh, tested. The COA? Uh, the COA, yeah, the Guam Fisherman's COA, but they don't do it anymore because... Uh, yeah, the test kits were shown to, I think, giving too many false positive tests. Yeah. Huh. Uh, actually, a few years ago, I was contacted by a gentleman with, I believe, with the FDA or USDA in the mainland in Washington State, they are working to develop a new Ciguatera test kit. And actually, the gentleman running the program is a Chamorro gentleman from Guam originally. I was talking to him, and he was asking for samples of fish if people have eaten fish and gotten sick to save samples of that fish, and we can send it to them, and they can use that to help uh, refine the new test kit that they're developing. So, you know, I hope nobody does experience it, but if they do, you know, if you can save the fish, there are certainly very valuable uses for fish that are known to be ciguatoxic. Great. Yeah, I mean, I, I'm hoping they uh, 
find out the results. I mean, I hope they release the results at I've least. I've been poisoned yeah. once before, and that experience is something that you don't want to repeat. Yeah, extreme, like I said, extreme, it, extreme it, pain. It yeah. really, I really had plans. I said, I'm going to go eat, and they have a new restaurant in my village, and it's a fish, fried fish restaurant and i said i'm gonna go try that out and then this story broke and i said i changed my mind i'm not gonna parrotfish go. is still good Lugwa is still good uh, i yeah. don't know <laughs> I mean, there is although historically there have been parrotfish cases on water. that's correct as well. matter of fact on this particular story that broke with that uh ciguatera yeah yeah that parrotfish was mentioned so i was like and that was the fish i was thinking of <laughs> i was talking to ren about this offline yeah. about sure the, the, that issue about parrotfish i'm not i'm I'm kind of thinking that they were talking about palaxi. So a lot yeah. of people confuse palaxi versus logwa. You know, palaxi. Do they, do is they a, look alike? Palaxi, <laughs> well, they have the same slimy skin, but palaxi eats uh, other fish, and and parrotfish eat chunks of coral off to filter the mm. algae off. You know, Interesting. So. And 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 cigotera is actually from fish that eat other fish, smaller fish that mm. eat smaller fish that eat smaller fish, and and parrotfish doesn't eat anything alive. Wow, uh, which got me to think. It's just, just my now. thinking. Just, just now, and you got me thinking because I, 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 I'm thinking about something Brett said about balati. There's a fish that lived inside of a balati. Yes, there's. A, Can you imagine that? There's a fish that lives inside of a balati. And what fish is that? Yeah, they're called a pearl fish, uh, and they live inside the body cavity. And they use it for shelter. Some of them feed on some of the internal organs of a balati, but then the balati regrows new ones again. Some of them just use a balati as like a shelter, and then they come out at night and roam around and feed on whatever, do whatever, and then they go back into the balati. Uh, And they're not coming in and out through the mouth, I'll say that. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. Okay. Well, you know, again, man, let and see. I learn something every day. I do this. I mean, every every week that I do this show, depending on the topic, I find out something. And I never when he when he said when he mentioned that there's a fish that live inside the balati. I was like, really? <laughs> Is that fish eatable? <laughs> probably not. They're not very. They're long and very thin, and uh, oh, okay. they they probably don't have much meat on them. Okay. Okay. <laughs> uh, yeah. Visualization well, here is yeah. not good. Four seven seven five seven five seven. You got a question or comment? By all means, give us a call. We'll be able to entertain you either way. If you have a question for our guest? He'll be hopefully able to answer that as well. Mr. Brent Tibbetts with the Division of Aquatic and Wildlife Resources. Resources. Yeah. Okay. There you go. <laughs> He's in the studio along with Felix Rages, Western Pacific Regional Fishery Management Council. Oh boy, is that a mouthful. <laughs> Whoa. Yeah, we, and we, we are the organization that uh, publishes the lunar calendar. Really? And I just gave you a copy there for this year. Yeah, and we're me. already working for the 2021 calendar. So. Wow. You said your office is based out of Honolulu? Yes. Were you ever uh, there? Were you well, we, we, we go back and forth oh, you for go our back meetings and, forth. and such. Yeah. You got any openings? <laughs> <laughs> USAjobs.com. <laughs> I wouldn't mind going back to Honolulu. Lived there for five, four Eight. years. Dave, as soon as you turn your back, I'm going to take that from you, by the way. Take that what? little calendar that Mr. Rachel just left you, it's coming home with me. <laughs> by all means. He only brought one. No, no you can have one. one. Oh, you brought so, okay. only one. Uh, no, you, you can go. Have. Don't turn your back. No, no, you can have it. It's, it's a nice, I didn't even get a chance to look at it, Jeremy, but 
Yeah, it's a nice picture of a man fishing. And it's got some uh, ex explanation about the council process. And oh, fantastic. You are going to save all my date nights. Yes. <laughs> Mr. Rapids. <laughs> thank you. Once again, thank you for tuning in to Man, Land, and Sea, News of Guam and our Island Environment. And I'd like to thank our sponsor at this time, the Bureau of Statistics and Plans and the Guam Coastal Management Program. Thank you, thank you, thank you. Uh, again, Man, Land, and Sea goes back. I was just talking to Brett about this. You know, it's a used to be a TV show originally, and uh, which I produced for the Bureau of Statistics and Plan, the Bureau of Planning back then. They changed their name a little nicer title, Bureau of Statistics and Plan. Now. BSP. BSP. Yeah. Before it was just Bureau of Planning, which I like that too. Anyway, we did a lot of shows with them as well, along with uh, everybody else. It was an environmental TV show, once a month every month for about seven years we did it so uh once again it's a pleasure having you in the studio anything else going on pleasure to be Any, here how well, about a fishing derby you guys uh, do that say, yeah we have uh we have anticipating uh three fishing derbies for kids coming up later this year great the first will take place in april is it's one of the earth month activities that the various natural resource agencies get together to work on it'll be held at the mossel reservoir in pd next to the veteran cemetery uh, we haven't set the date yet, but it's generally either the second or third Sunday of April. We kind of try to not conflict with the Guam uh, Marathon. Hmm. So we'll, we'll, whatever weekend that's on, we'll do the other weekend. Uh, and then we have two derbies that we hold every year, saltwater derbies uh, in summertime, probably June, July, or August. We're looking at the tides to schedule those. <gasps> and those take place in the Assin War in the Pacific Park. Uh, and those are for the... the, the uh, PD Derby is for kids 6 to 16. The derbies in the summer are for kids ages 7 to 12. And we'll have, there'll be media uh, announcements on those when By we get closer means. to the dates. Yeah, yeah as yeah. the dates get closer, I'll definitely have uh, someone from your department or from the Department of Agriculture come in. Great. It'll yeah. be you. Okay. I, uh, yeah, I, a lot of times it's the, yes. the, uh, the saltwater derbies we've been hosting since 1989. So we're 30, 31 years into them now. And we have fantastic and a great program and again um, very well attended yeah so we're definitely going to get you back in the studio here great and, we appreciate uh, that yeah. we definitely will and you mentioned briefly or you mentioned that uh, the good senator sabina paris will be introducing a bill to reduce the number of a latte oh possibly yeah there's a there's a several uh legis potential legislation coming huh, down addressing various okay. aquatic issues yeah and that, that's what i mentioned is one of them right right so we'll wait and see when when that happens and what all comes out of that fantastic yeah senator Perry is very very proactive in her and what she she's the oversight chair for the environment so very happy with uh, what she's doing and uh, uh once again uh mr rages Mr. Felix, uh, with, with the Western Pacific Regional Fishery Management Council, you That's have the that. One. You've got it. Well, I got it written you down this it. time. <laughs> <laughs> Jeremy's making me sound smart. But um, you do have a um, meeting coming up next week? Next week, Friday, uh, Thursday and Friday at 6 p.m. at the Hilton uh, Micronesian Room. And Friday is the meeting on uh, bottom fish. There uh, you go. Bottom and fish. on, on uh, uh, Friday, Thursday is a meeting on bottlefish. Friday is a meeting on shark uh, interaction. And let me just share with you something about the shark interaction. Sure, Last year's means. Co op Derby, one of our local beer sponsors uh, offered a $10,000 reward or price to the marlin that breaks a 500 pound wow. weight. Wow. The first marlin to come in uh, that breaks 500 pounds. 
Well, one marlin came in, but a big chunk of it was taken up by a shark. So he, he didn't make the cut, huh? 496 pounds. <laughs> oh, I think my goodness. came this close to winning $10,000. <coughs> so. I would have I told the sponsor, hey, come on and be. <laughs> you know that big chunk would have been three pounds. <laughs> but uh, no, and I, and so. definitely it's... Uh, it, it what it does is uh, it adds to the amount of time. It's got a CPUE, the amount of time that you spent fishing. It give, it adds to the cost because you have to re-rig, or you know, yeah. run and and it also um, um, in in the end it's all it's all about an expense because you don't, you bring uh, home less fish. Hmm. Oh, so. Brett, I wanted to ask you before I forget. I'm I'm sorry, Mr. Rages. No problem. About coral bleaching. Is that still occurring, or is it kind of mellowed out, or what's going on with that? Well, core bleaching has been monitoring. We know we've we had uh, four years of pretty severe bleaching, 2013, yes. 14, 16, and 17. Correct. Uh, we were expected to go into coral bleaching in 2018 and 2019, but I guess Mother Nature kind of helped us out a bit, bringing in uh, some storms that cooled the temperature, cooled the ocean temperature. And um, we have managed to avoid much bleaching in those those years so far this year i think water conditions are pretty cool there is ongoing monitoring for coral bleaching that's that still goes on even if there is happening or not and uh, uh the marine lab will have a coral bleaching monitoring program going on ongoing they have the last several years and ongoing again this year we'll be working with them to uh, uh they've picked out locations and we'll be working with them to see how the monitoring is going um and if there are, unfortunately with coral bleaching, there's not a lot we can do about it. Just the healthier the reef is when coral bleaching starts, the more likely it is to recover. And so actions to make sure a reef is healthy in advance is about the best thing we can do for it. Fantastic. Any other um, workshops or anything going on with Department of Agriculture? Uh, as far as fisheries go, nothing right now. I believe we have, we always have a, a May Fest. We'll have something coming up in May to celebrate local farmers. Uh, local produce available and mm-hmm. uh, other than that I, I I don't know of anything offhand coming up but certainly uh, we'll let pass it on to you if we know if uh, by all means something comes. Yes. Sure. you by know absolutely. my number now so give me a call anything like that comes up let me know I'd be more than happy to have you on the studio have you in the studio and and uh, Mr. Rages uh, besides the uh, meeting next week and what what's new with the uh, Western Pacific Regional Fishery Management Council. <laughs> <laughs> no, actually, uh, no, I'm beginning to like saying it because uh, I know it now. Our our motto is fish forever, so sustainable fishing. Fish? Isn't that fish contradicting? No, 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 it's not. There, it's, there's a level of fishing that's sustainable yeah, for a population yeah. to maintain. Oh, okay. Effective fishery management will allow our fishermen, especially our local fishermen, indigenous fisheries, Hmm. And our communities to fish forever, and the next generation and the following, and we we'll totally support the kids' derbies because it teaches them management, the conservation, and uh, and uh, species identification, and 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 hopefully a lifelong long lifelong fishing. catch. They're, they're caught to fish, for, and you know what? I I I joined the the last derby that they had down at the Asan Memorial Park. Uh-huh. Maybe more than half of those kids were girls. Really, and they were catching. Brett, did you guys have anything to do with the, that fishing platform in Aganya? Yes, our our agency funded some of that along with the council, funded some of that as well. And uh, we now ma- do maintenance on it, maintaining, uh, you know, painting when needed, replacing bars when needed. Um, so th- we, we have uh, 
ongoing maintenance of that of that structure now yes yeah we we actually didn't fund but we were the intermediary for funding that came through the uh, quota uh, contract with the Hawaii Longline Fisheries I, I've heard I've heard about it in the news that there was some um, some fishermen were not happy with where it was where it was built is it is too far or something to that effect the story behind that is that the original plan was it was supposed to be right over the water where it is now okay. but the army corps came in and said no we can't block those big rocks because it mitigates the wave for action the, yeah for so erosion. And erosion yeah and so uh, we were we were forced to move the not we but the, you know the organizations that put that together for, were forced to move it back a little bit that's the first second and third phase but the next phase, actually, as planned, is going to be all the way up from the edge of where it is now to the peel box. And that portion is a little bit lower, and, and, and on portions of it will be over the water where it is so much more conducive for, for fishermen. Fantastic. I'm glad and I brought it, is it up. It's ADA compliant, too. Yeah. Mm, that's yeah. that's, that's good, too. Thing, but, yeah. yeah, I definitely heard about the, you know, the, some negative Hopefully that the next it. portion is funded so that fishermen can actually go up there and so actually give, use give it for them, fishing. Give them some money, man. <laughs> <laughs> right to your so, boss. <laughs> we're hoping to get some uh, funding. Yeah, from, uh, uh, you know, we, we love our fishing. I used to fish. Yeah. I, I went fishing exactly at that location for many years. Same here. Many years. Never caught a thing. <laughs> a a two-day season is perfect. I don't know uh, why. I mean, I got a lot of bites. I, maybe I didn't know how to tie the the hook to the to the um, line properly because I always got you know my pole would start reacting and then when I get there try to pull it in and disappear. <laughs> Never caught anything. Actually, take that back. I don't know. I don't think I'm the only one fishing in Upper Harbor with my rod and reel bottom fishing. My pole started reacting really funny instead of the jiggling motion like you got a fish on there. It just started pulling down slowly and I said wow so I picked it up and started reeling it in and it was heavy the stingray I caught an I octopus say, <laughs> I was going to say it could have been a deal but an octopus wow. I caught an octopus with a rod and reel right. it, it got stuck tangled up in my line and I brought it up and I don't know call me the I'm, I'm Poasso I told you that I'm, I'm a Poasso fisherman if I caught a fish I'm the guy that says hey dude Next to me, can you take the fish off my line? I, <laughs> Dave, I, you should have joined the kids' derby when you were young. I, yeah. I, I, I can't hold the fish. Yeah, I'm, it feels weird. And Anyway, that's the kind of fisherman I am. I go out there just for the sport of it, you know, the fight of catching the fish. I hope you didn't sell that octopus because you I did. I, I couldn't take it off the line either. You're not supposed so to. I told the guy next to me, hey, dude, do you want to take the octopus <laughs> off my line? You can have it. Oh, and, oh so you gave it away. Okay. Yes, Pati, I did. Pati. Good, good. But... I, I don't know if I'm the only guy in Guam that ever caught a octopus with a <laughs> rod and reel, but I did. <laughs> but again, the the the, the rod was was not uh, wiggling like a, it was a fish. It was just being pulled. It kept bending down slowly but surely, and I said, "What's this?" I thought I caught the rock, you know, caught Guam, but it was an octopus, a real live <laughs> octopus, tangled up. Anyway, we talk about anything here on Manland and Sea. Brad, you got any uh, stories you want to tell? <laughs> I already got the one with you getting bit on the face. Yeah. That one yeah, was yeah, funny. Think, yeah. I, uh, the picture of that was something else. Yeah. Right, right now, I can't think of anything, but give me a minute. Well, 
Uh, and well, before we take a break, I wanted to bring up and, and congratulate uh, for us, uh, you know, 76 years now, I believe, or 75 years. We finally got the war representation. Uh, yeah, war. That's right. It's going to be coming out. I heard They're that today, opening yeah. up, opening up the uh, processing center tomorrow at the Hakaputan yeah. building in Tumuning, and it took a long time, 75, 76 years. Wow. Is it 76? 76 years. 76. Yeah, 76 years. You know, and I'm just so thrilled about it. My dad, who lives in Texas, Abilene to be exact, I was back and forth, calling him up, emailing him all the different. Uh, articles and talk shows talking about how to get get this done and he's in a unique situation he's been adjudicated he's got all his paperwork but he's in texas so he can't of course show up at the uh yeah so i was on his behalf i was calling up patty's show andrea's show and say hey my dad lives in texas now and he's been back to the island like three or four times since july of last year thinking he was going to get his war claim didn't happen he came back a second time thinking it was going to come out again that didn't happen so he kept going back and forth to texas it's gonna happen now and he went back because he didn't expect he said you know i'm not even mad anymore i'm i'm laughing at these people but you know kudos to the uh the governor and uh the legislature finally uh they got it passed and they got it signed by the treasury so it's going to happen but now i got to figure out how to get my dad uh his paperwork oh, in. Bring, yeah. the, bring the the funds over to him. It's in Abilene. <laughs> yeah, he goes, boy, how about if I do a power of attorney? I said, well, it's going to take a while to get the power of attorney. And then, you know, and then where's where's your documents? Your, your letter of uh, approval and the, the amount and the adjudication letter? Oh, I have it. And I said, yeah, it's, it's in Texas. Have, I, said, <laughs> I don't think they're going to take a Xerox copy. You're gonna I have think to come they, back then. So. Yeah, so so we're trying to figure out a way. But uh, again, uh, I just wanted to mention that uh, the greatest generation are Manumkos that uh, survived the war and uh, went through the atrocities, and they're finally, finally going to be compensated with our own money. <laughs> I'm not too happy about that, when but you, you know. When you interview Dave Blonde next week, ask him about his uh, parents. Uh, war experience and how they and how they were rescued by the marines in saipan yeah you mentioned dave sablon uh david sablon uh, next week i'm going to have mr david sablon and mr uh, larry gas with the guam solid waste authority they're going to be my guests next week and we're going to be talking about waste to energy incineration and or just incinerating of trash itself and the reason why i wanted them to come in because uh you know, we just recently, we're going to, I think it's already ongoing, they're building the new land cell uh, because the order dump is already capped or going to be capped. So we had to, we just recently went out on the bond market and borrowed $30 million to build a new cell for our trash. And I, it came to my, came to me that uh, why don't we burn the trash and did, all we have to transfer to the, lab, the, the cell is the ash which would expand the life expectancy of the landfill by tenfold. And because of 2020 now, technology has gotten to the point now where a waste of energy or just an incineration for trash, it's looking really good. The toxins coming out of the smokestacks is literally none. The odor is 
literally nothing. You can't even smell it anymore. So anyway, they're going to be my guests next week, and uh, I definitely will bring that up. But uh, it's going to be an interesting uh, subject, incineration. You know, I, I asked Larry. He was, he's been on my show quite a few times. Do we have enough trash to support a uh, waste of energy facility? He says, not really. I said, well, we have enough to support a certain amount of megawatts to produce. And he goes, yeah, we do. I said, oh, okay. So we built it to scale. You know, you know, I'm. I used to live in the mainland. I love it when you have, you know, who do we have in Guam? One power company. It's basically a monopoly. And the price is that. It's they can solve. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I lived in Abilene as well, where my dad lives, and we literally had 10, 15 different power companies to choose from. And they're all competing with each other. So the rates of power there was ridiculously low. My average monthly bill in Texas was... 28 bucks, $28. That was my power bill. In the summertime, where I used the aircon a lot more, maybe go up to 35 But I was... I'm 10 times that. Big, big time. Big, big, <laughs> I big, wonder big, why big. they can't locate, if they were, were going to go the incinerator way, locate it at the order dump and use that mountain of trash to burn. Um, well... It's trash. <laughs> no, it is. But um, like Larry, uh, Mr. Gas told me... It has to be me, fresh trash. The, the order <laughs> dump, which is already capped, Right. Uh, we had a better... We were talking about what... It's 50 acres in size. Why don't we build or put a bunch of solar panels there? You don't have to use additional property. You can't build on that because it's... You know, it will sink if you build something heavy. But if you put it as a solar farm uh, area, 50 acres worth, there you go. And part of the new GPA power plant, there's a component of you have to go renewables, solar. So we were thinking, Larry and I said, hey, 50 acres. We don't have to use 50 acres of other property. We don't have to buy any other property. Just use that property. And it's right there exposed to the sun big time. So, again, you know. We talk about everything, about uh, from trash to illegal dump sites to coral reefs to <laughs> invasive species and feral pigs and stray dogs, and that's what uh, mainland sea is all about. So you got something on your mind? Uh, I know it's about nine minutes till the top of the hour, and that'll be the end of the show. And I thank you, gentlemen, for coming in. How about? Just one more, Davis. Wanted to add that. But you can have two more. Okay, two more. I'll take three. <laughs> <laughs> okay. This issue about our uh, uh, bottom fish challenges and the possibility of us close, yeah. closing that, I think, uh, and it's all based on 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 data, accurate data, or complete data, or more data to support. Uh-huh. Uh, the studies that show that we have the biomass, we've got the ecosystem that is present in our waters. So to improve that data collection uh, issue, uh, we're looking at uh, mandatory licensing and reporting for uh, for fishermen uh, that fish in the federal waters. And I think Chelsea was talking about I'll, I'll let her talk about that. Maybe you should bring her up on board. Yeah, I, I don't want to bring up a very to... controversial issue, but she's looking at I would love incorporating to that Chelsea. into the island waters as well. But uh, to anybody that goes out to fish in federal waters and comes back, um, they have to be licensed first, and then they must report their catch. That's yeah. one alternative to 
to solve this uh, data collection issue. Yeah, fantastic. Uh, fantastic. Although Brent has been working on data collection for so many years, and we've got data to go back 30-some years, uh, not all of it was used to, to create the stock assessment that shows that we're overfished. So I think there's still some opportunities that we can uh, do uh, an, an approach to improve our data collection that is usable. Fantastic, fantastic. Were you involved with the coral replanting at all, Brett? No. No, I'd well, say that was... Just a little bit. We, there were some coral colonies growing on the, the boat ramp down in Mariso, and uh, a bunch of students from the marine lab and faculty from the marine lab and other people came down, and we relocated some corals from the boat ramp to other areas in Mariso. But there was other coral farming going on. The, the marine lab currently has two coral farms, coral nurseries around Guam, that they're growing coral for replanting in areas where bleaching primarily has affected the, the health of reefs. And that's the marine lab is, is mostly doing that. Before we end the show again, the coral bleaching, it's, it's tapered off. So far this year, yeah, conditions have not been uh, favorable for coral bleaching. I'll say conditions have been better for healthy coral, and there's not many signs of bleaching going on right now. Now, this really isn't the time of year when we start to see bleaching. Generally, it's later in the year, really towards summer, maybe July, August, September, October. So it might be a little early to say, but so far conditions have not indicated that bleaching was going to happen. And of course, if, if you're not aware, coral is a very important part of our ecosystem. They are habitat to a lot of fish. And what other? Uh, what are the great benefits of coral? Yeah. Afuk. Afuk. What is that? <laughs> oh, for, for chewing beetle nut. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Not me. I don't, I don't yeah. chew beetle nut. Well, one, one important thing that's visible right now is when we have bad weather come and there's big waves hitting the, the shoreline, those big waves are hitting coral reef right now. If we didn't have coral reefs, those waves would be hitting the shore. And mm. structures along the shore, the beaches, would be really impacted by that. So having coral reefs out as kind of a buffer for the land are a really important benefit for, for us. In addition, their habitat for fish, for food, for tourism, um, they do provide, uh, like I said, materials for, for some things. Uh, almost all of the white sand that's on Guam is ground up coral, you know, either from wave action or from parrotfish chewing on it and, and passing it out. So uh, coral, I mean, provides just so many benefits to Guam. It's really important that we have a lot of healthy coral here to, to maintain those things. <laughs> was that my fault? That wasn't me. <laughs> that wasn't me. Dave, they're also looking at removing those thousands. Is it thousands the of tires? tires? The tires. Yes. The coral, yes. Yeah, the tire reef in Mariso. Yeah, yeah, I remember when that was a popular thing to do. Hey, let's put a whole bunch of tires and tie them together and dump them Somebody turn them into artificial like two reef. of those tires had uh, any kind of a, a coral colony yeah I, I did a show on that i believe i forgot the dollar amount i think it was like upwards of five hundred thousand. Wow. that's going to be dedicated to to removing that to removing wow. it yeah but you know uh, back then uh, no, i don't know again i apologize i forgot how many years ago it was the idea of the century hey yeah. let's use it as artificial reef maybe they're going to start thinking hey you know how they um, blow up ships or sink them and turn them into artificial reefs and habitats as well. They're going to probably say, oops, <laughs> we're going to go out there and take that ship out of the ocean. I don't know. But, um, you know, I'm all for it. Anything that we can do to preserve our environment, we have to think about not just our children now, our great-grandchildren, -grand and the generations to come. We can't leave them with a 
environment that is just totally, you know, um, it's not going to be. From a, our side, we call it ecosystem. Yeah. yeah. You know, it's it's terrible to think about my daughter growing up or my granddaughter. And then, say, um, you know, nowadays I get really, really disturbed when I read the local paper or watch the 6 o'clock news. Fifteen beaches polluted. Then it just dawns on me, is it? I wonder what the tour agents tell the tourists. Hey, yeah, go out to the beach, go swim. <laughs> I, I, got a, I got a funny feeling they're not telling them oh, that beach is polluted. How come I'm itching? How come I got rash? Well, I don't know. <laughs> but, you know, when I read about that, it just blows my mind. Fifteen, and, and that's uh, it's a normal thing. Sometimes it's 15, sometimes it's 8, but, you know, even one beach polluted. And, and I asked a question of someone, one of my friends, what's polluting, you know, runoff uh, when it rains and, you know, non-point source pollution, uh, which is non-point sources, you know, even on your, your, your roadway, the asphalt, it's got contaminants all over that. You got tire, you got rubber, you got the fuel, the oil. And when it rains, the runoff the sheen goes out into the ocean. Goes out into the ocean and pollutes it. So, yeah. two minutes till the top of the hour. Once again, gentlemen, thank you so much. I had a great time with you guys. I learned a bunch of stuff. The Indo-Pacific Man of War. He finally got it. Whoa! Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you guys are making me smart. I yeah. tell you, I found that. Uh, I learned about that. I learned about that fish that lives in the Balati. That's right. <laughs> wow, now that one is like new. <laughs> At least I never caught a balati with my rod and reel. But uh, again, uh, the balati is definitely, uh, there's been incidents where people were uh, caught harvesting it. Too many, yes. Yeah. So once again, thank you for tuning in to Man, Land, and Sea. Brought to you by the Bureau of Statistics and Plans and the Guam Coastal Management Program. I'm Dave Duenas, your host, and I thank you so much. Next week, tune in, and we'll have uh, Dave Sablon, David Sablon, and Mr. Larry Gast. Thank you.